talking and it don't make sense Tell me what it's all about The truth is stranger the closer you get To the who, what, where, when, how Absurd is the word, guess what I heard Absurd is the word, guess what I heard Guess what I heard Guess what I heard Hey, this is Know What I Heard. I'm Jamie, and this episode is about the suicide crisis in the veterinary profession. You may have noticed recently on Facebook or other social media platforms that people were either using hashtags or updating their profile pictures or making posts about NOMV, which stands for Not One More Vet. This is because the veterinary field has one of the highest suicide rates of any profession. And as someone who has a lot of friends and family in the veterinary field, that stat scares the crap out of me. So I wanted to bring some awareness to what is causing this mental health crisis and this epidemic in the veterinary field. So I was joined by Dr. Scott Reed, who was nice enough to answer my questions about what he deals with on a daily basis, what he thinks some of the factors are that's causing this crisis, and what we as pet owners can do to help support the people that are saving our animals' lives and keeping them healthy. So here's my conversation with Scott. My name is Scott Reed, and I'm a veterinarian in Kansas City, Missouri. I've been a veterinarian for 20 years now. What was it that made you want to become a vet? So when I was seven years old, I went to uh, Boy Scouts and we had a trip planned to go to the veterinary clinic um, of a local veterinarian. And we went in there and the veterinarian assigned several of his kids to one door and then he assigned somebody else to another door. And he would tell one group, okay, you guys open and you guys close. And then he would tell us to close and then the other group open. And so he kept doing that faster and faster. And all of a sudden he tells us, hey, you guys are performing like a heart right now. And it was, we were the, the valves of the heart and the, I was hooked. I, I thought that was just the coolest thing ever. And granted I was only seven, but I always loved pets and, and they had a special place in my heart. So since I was seven, that was just what I wanted to do. When you were seven and you wanted to become a vet and as you got older and you were in vet school, how has the idea of being a vet changed with the reality of being a vet? Is it what yeah. you'd hoped it would be? Um, yes and no. You know, when you're seven, you think, oh, you know, I'm going to play with these dogs and cats and I'm going to make them better and everything's rosy. But, you know, when you get in the real world, that's not always how it is and it's not easy to diagnose what's wrong sometimes or the first thing you do may not fix them and so that that's kind of different and you know I went into it being very naive and I I wanted to you know work with animals because I love animals I want to make them better and I 
don't usually interact with people that well or have anxiety interacting with public. So, you know, in my mind, I, I thought, oh, this is just a perfect thing for me. I can go take care of the puppies and kittens and make them all better and life will be great. But you have to deal with the public a lot. So that that's kind of a, a big thing. And, you know, there's there's a lot of, I think, public perception that being a veterinarian is all happy. You know, you do get to play with puppies and kittens and they see pictures of us, you know, having cute dogs and cats on our Facebook pages. But when we get down to it, that's not majority of what we see. And it's a lot harder. Yeah, I think that's kind of, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of factors that kind of play into this. I mean, what's, what's kind of being referred to as an epidemic in the vet profession and, and not only veterinarians, but support staff, vet techs, everyone involved with the, that industry. According to the, the CDC, there were almost 400 vets that died by suicide between 1979 and 2015. And those rates just keep going higher and higher. And that female vets are three and a half times more likely to kill themselves than, you know, just members of the general public. And male vets are over two times more likely. What do you think are some of the factors that play into that? Um, I think the the biggest thing is, I just, I mentioned briefly that, you know, we, we want to take care of the, the dogs and cats and, you know, that's what we're really there for. And most veterinarians or veterinary staff are very empathetic with our patients. You know, we, we take emotionally, we take our cases home with us. We worry about our patients, uh, their mental well-being, their physical well-being, and we form attachments with them. You know, some of them, you know, it almost seems like they, you know, become part of our extended family. So, you know, I think a, a huge part is, is empathy. And, you know, again, like myself, uh, a lot of people in the veterinary community have, anxiety issues or depression issues. And we look at animals as something that we can help besides ourselves. We're, we're you know, pretty much altruistic people and we, we want to help. Um, but then, you know, we just get too far deep into it and, you know, take cases too personally. If something doesn't go right, you know, if a patient dies beyond our control, you know, we'll, we'll take that upon ourselves and it, it just kind of builds on it. You know, I, I do know that there's several um, staff members, um, quite a high amount of staff members that I work with that do deal with some mental issues. And I, I try to talk to them about it uh, frequently, you know, because I, I don't want to see, I don't want to lose any of them. We lost one last year in, in July, um, and I think just a big part of it is, is that veterinarian staff, they, they love pets, they feel everything deeply, good things and bad things, and we just kind of get locked into ourselves. Because some of the, the stuff that I was reading was 
some of the the biggest factors that um, kind of play into the stress of, of vets and staff are that there's really high um, student loan debts that cause a lot of stress. I, th- I think it said the average is between 150,000 and 200,000 that most vets leave vet school with um, as far as student loans. And that when you look at a lot of other medical professions, the, the rates that vets get paid are significantly lower so that that can be really overwhelming at times. That, that definitely plays a part in it. Um, you know, we're just so excited to, you know, get a degree in what we love and, you know, get out and practice. And, you know, it's kind of like, all right, I'll, I'll pay whatever it is, you know, to achieve that. And then six months after you graduate, the bill starts rolling in for uh, your student loan repayment. Uh, when I graduated 20 years ago, I had $120,000 in student loans and set it up. It was $650 a month and that's for 30 years. And I know students are graduating with, with more debt now. And yeah, I mean, it depends on where you practice in the United States, but veterinarians probably get paid a third coming out of school of what uh, human physicians do. And uh, maybe at the peak, after you've been in practice for quite some time, you may be getting paid half of what uh, physicians do. So it definitely wears on you. And when you already come out of school and you got to pay rent somewhere or, you know, look for a house and you got to move to some place to start your career, you know, keeping up with paying on a car, starting a family. It definitely is something that looms over you. Another thing that I saw that I really wasn't aware of, knowing people that work in the field, I know that it can be a very stressful situation. I didn't realize the amount of conflict that there is with pet owners and just their treatment of the vets and the staff and how it can kind of expand into social media. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I, I, that, that's something that really gets to us. Um, and it's, it's been a lot worse since COVID has happened. We, we just have people with short tempers. People feel very entitled. Um, you know, they act like, they know more than you because they went to Google or they talked to a friend or something on social media that they happened to see that didn't come from any, you know, veterinary advice. It was just somebody on, you know, the next door app or something. And, you know, so they, they question your expertise and knowledge and they also just claim, Oh, you're just out for the money. And, Obviously, that's not the case. And they also expect you to be able to figure out what's going on with their pet, um, sometimes with very little uh, testing. So, you know, you have to kind of guess the right test. Sometimes you might get to send out, you know, just one, like a chemistry or a complete blood count. Uh, and then they want you to figure it out from that. And it's, just not that simple. One of my my bosses, 
he told me when I first started working there 15 years ago, you know, there are hospitals filled with patients that human specialists can't figure out what's going on with a human, you know, despite they have CTs, MRIs, you know, insurance to pay for all this testing. You know, a lot of times they can't figure it out with one set of tests. And for the most part in the veterinary world, there's no, no insurance that's going to be picking up the tab on everything. And so people get very protective of their money. And I understand that they, they should be, but they definitely take it out on us with, with their tone, you know, always trying to say, Hey, look, you know, what, how can I do this cheaper? You know, and it's not like a car lot where you're, you know, trying to bargain down on a car. I mean, our prices are our prices and they're set that way for a reason, but yeah, people do take to social media a lot and it spreads rapidly and it can absolutely ruin veterinarians lives. Uh, because again, we, we got into this to, to help pets and get them better. And all of a sudden, you know, somebody posts something online and it just goes viral and, you know, it's, it's your livelihood and it's your name and something gets out like that. And somebody just basically was confused or didn't listen, um, which I have happen all the time is just people don't listen to what's said. They hear what they want to hear. You know, they make other things up that they think that was said and just isn't the case lives can be absolutely ruined and veterinary clinics reputations can be ruined and it's not a fault of the veterinarian it's called practice it's not an exact science to diagnosing diseases um, or fixing things you know with surgery you know when, when something goes wrong in surgery you know there can be complications or one set of surgeries may not fix it it may require several different surgeries uh, to find the right procedure for what's going on. And I understand it's frustrating to, to clients, owners, but we don't know what the exact right procedure is always going to be until you know, we kind of go through each and every one. And it gets better with experience. You know, you can say, well, you know, I've seen this done in this situation and this, what, this is what ends up working better. So we'll just skip to this one. But yeah, uh, the demand of, of clients, um, you know, they, they call and they ask questions and, you know, there's sometimes I'm on the phone with a client for 20 minutes. Last night we, we always close at six and I didn't leave until nine o'clock. Um, just calling clients back and trying to, you know, make sure that patients that have gone home are still doing okay, uh, get biopsy results. And I have to call, you know, them back and let them know. And then what our next steps are and not all vets do that. I mean, some, you know, can just leave, but I, I, some vets out there really, really do care. And they, I would say the vast majority of vets do, and they really want to take care of your pet and really want to do the right thing for you. When you are talking about with humans, you know, you have a, a team of doctors at a hospital and all this access to testing 
and sometimes you still don't know what's going on and that's with your patient being able to tell you what's wrong how you're feeling where the pain is and so I imagine that that really complicates things whenever you're dealing with patients who can't tell you what hurts or what their symptoms are yeah absolutely and and we have clients you know that tell us like no you know we, we look them over and we feel okay this this is what we feel is going on with it and the clients are like no that's that's not what's going on you know the problem is here and so then you know you have this kind of tense moment with the clients and it's you know okay well we can look into that but you know we could spend money and time on that and then find out that that's not likely what's going on and there are sometimes and i i know the clients um i have several that if they come in and tell me xyz is going on with my pet i can you know guarantee that they're so dialed into their pet that i don't need to look anywhere else but yeah obviously it's it's really hard to know you know what's going on with a patient at any given time because they can't speak to you uh, you have to use your hands your ears and your eyes to try to pick up on things to give you a direction of what might be going on and you know when we were in school we learned multiple different species uh, versus one species so we're kind of challenged in in that way a little bit because you know we didn't get to spend four years on all dogs or all cats we had to learn cats horses pigs chickens not many exotics uh, and you can specialize but we did have to learn a lot of things right and you you kind of mentioned you know, your schedule that you work like, what's a typical schedule for you? If there is such a thing. (laughs) Uh, For me, I work Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, have Wednesday off and work half day on Saturday. But I would say the days that I work, I may get 10 minutes to go grab lunch and stuff it down on the way back and, you know, be right back into the fray because we do have a lot of uh, clients that do walk-ins so they can just walk in whenever. And lately it has been a lot uh, of walk-ins. Sometimes I see them, but usually I don't where I'm at. I'm the uh, chief of surgery. So, you know, pretty much from about nine o'clock until three 30, I'm in, in surgeries, Uh, sometimes longer, uh, depends on what's going on or if we had, a C-section walk in the door, uh, which I had two this week already. You know, you just have to adjust and see what's coming in and just do it. And, you know, there's sometimes when I have clients that get a little upset with, with me or the receptionist because I may be in surgery and they had an appointment with me, but, you know, I'm the one that does the surgeries there. And so... I may be in surgery and, and can't see them at a given time. And I, I understand that can, you know, make some people upset. I'd be a little bit upset too, but that's just kind of the nature of, of a hospital and what comes in the door is what comes in the door. You can't control it. Right. And I'm sure they would appreciate if in an emergency you were there to take care of their pet, you know, if the... Yes. <laughs> and I have many people that you know, when I talk to them later and say, Oh, Hey, look, I'm sorry. I missed, missed you guys when you came in on that date, you know, and I explained what was going on. And uh, the vast majority of them say, Oh, you know, 
I completely understand if, if it was my dog, absolutely. I, I want you doing that and, you know, we'll be taken care of, you know, it's not a big deal. You know, it wasn't a big deal. We just needed vaccines or we had an ear infection that we needed to look at. So yeah, there, there are a lot of people that are very understanding about it. Well, that's good. What are the, I don't necessarily want to say worse, but like the most stressful aspects of your job? I'm very empathetic with my patients and most veterinarians are as well. And we, we also have the personality type that we're perfectionists. We want to be able to diagnose every case right the first time. We want to do the surgery that's going to be the best uh, the first time, every time, and not have anything ever go wrong. And, you know, if something does go wrong, vast majority of the time, that's completely out of our control. And, you know, we take care of it and move on and patient recovers and does very well, but we still take that very hard against ourselves. I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves uh, to perform at superhuman levels. It, it's not sustainable for us. It takes a very big toll. And then once you add those two things together with clients and the way our personalities are, um, it, it wears on you very, very quickly. And there's, uh, you'll hear compassion fatigue uh, is a big buzzword in the veterinary community. And I think that that could have two different meanings. And I think I just touched on both of them. Uh, one is dealing with the general public and their demands and their wants and their worries. And then our own wants and, and worries and needing to be perfect. Have you ever considered doing something else? Um, I mean, there's some days that, you know, I, I think to myself, wow, I'm just going to be a Walmart greeter, <laughs> um, not really have any, any stress, but you know, then I look at the Walmart greeters and go, oh my gosh, they, they get to see a lot of nasty people too. And so, yeah, I, I've thought about other things or maybe going into corporate medicine. You know, there's a lot of different things you can do. The possibilities are, are limitless, really, about what you could do. But for me, I don't know if I could do that. I love pets. I love animals. I, I think that if I were to go to a place where I was in a cubicle all day and didn't get to be with pets, I'd probably go crazy. I don't know. There's just something about having hands-on and I love to do surgery and, you know, not getting to do surgery. I just, I don't know. I, I think I'd probably go stir crazy. So other than just obviously like not being a-holes, what are some things that you could suggest that pet owners do to help you guys out and make your jobs yeah. more pleasant? It's a really good question. I, I don't know that I've ever looked at it from that aspect. I, I think just taking a pause and realize what we're trying to do, that we're on the same page. We're, you know, in the trenches and we want to do everything that we can to address your needs, your patients, or your pet's needs, and, and try to be respectful of, of our time 
you know, I get that, that clients want to talk to the veterinarians when they call, uh, checking up on their patient that's in the hospital, but we could be in two different rooms and, you know, we may have a procedure going on at the same time and there's only so much time in the day. People could be more respectful of, of our time and just be respectful in general um, and be just a decent human being. You know, I, I know that the veterinary community is not the only community that's been hit with how people have changed uh, since COVID. I, I've talked to several other businesses, retail, uh, about kind of the short tempers of, of people that, that come in and just forget that you're a human being too and that you're, you're there to serve them and you're there to help them and everybody breathe take a step back and realize that we're all on the same page. We're all trying to help each other. We're not out to gouge somebody for anything. We want to be perfect and we want to try to do the right thing. So, you know, if something unforeseen happens, yes, it's your, your pet and you know, you love them and there's many things that are beyond our control and we're doing our very best to make sure that they make it to kind of put things in perspective like if your kid has a fever or something's going on with you if you call your doctor's office you can't be like hi can I speak to Dr. Smith and they're like yeah hang on just a second chances of you speaking to your doctor directly are slim and if you did you're probably gonna have to wait for some time to speak with them when pets are involved everybody expects this like immediate attention and you guys just don't have that buffer that human doctors do where you've got you know your office staff and nurses and other people that are going to filter that direct contact with the public minus the five minutes that you get in the office that's scheduled so i think if people could keep that in mind yeah, you're, you're so exactly right. You know, it, usually in situations like that, if you do call your physician, you're going to get, you know, a nurse, but they may not call back for a day or two. And sometimes we'll have people that call four or five times a day and they want to talk to the doctor uh, and they'll leave messages um, to talk to the doctor. There, there is a lot of demand on our time and, you know, they, they won't, accept a phone call from one of the technicians for an update. You know, and there's some days I have 12 voicemails that I have to return um, that, of people that have left messages. And that doesn't count being in the room with clients or doing surgeries or answering calls that didn't go to voicemail um, or answering questions for somebody in the, the lobby about some medications that we're going to be starting. So yeah, you're exactly right. Um, on the human side, they they definitely get a, a bigger buffer. Do you have any stories that stick out to you? I guess maybe some examples of what people have done that are kind of adding to this added stress in the profession. Yeah. Um, one case I can think of right offhand is uh, I did surgery on a dog recently. It was a knee surgery. And going in, I, I hadn't examined the dog yet. It was the first time I'd ever seen the, the patient was the day of the surgery. And after I got to looking at the dog, once it was out, um, I was thinking that, okay, this one procedure may not be enough. 
may have to throw on another procedure that uh, will help stabilize the joint uh, in a different way for the best outcome. You know, I, I talked with the clients afterwards because it wasn't really wasn't going to be something I was going to know until I was actually in surgery. And so, you know, when I talked to them later about it, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, OK, I understand. You know, that makes sense. And so then they go to pay the bill and they're like, well, wait a minute. You know, the bill is for more. Why is it more? Like, well, remember, we discussed that we had to do more of a procedure. We need to charge for what we what we do. And he's like, I completely understand. And then he goes up front to the receptionist and tells the receptionist, oh, well, you know, he said he was going to take $250 off. It's pretty frustrating, you know, when you, you have people that just kind of completely undermine you, try to work the system, if you will. Uh, I've also had several clients just that even if, if everything goes right, they want to know why this happened and this happened and this happened and Sometimes we don't have all of the answers. You know, we, we also do have, you know, some very, very sweet clients who, you know, at times will come in and they'll bring us some food for us to have and, you know, a, a nice card for us. Um, and that is just so amazing when that happens. You know, it, it really touches our heart and lets us know that people really cared about what we did for them and know that we actually do care for their their pets so do more of that be nice be nice people right Show some just, gratitude. just be <laughs> nice don't be an a-hole i'm gonna stitch that on a pillow just don't be an a-hole <laughs> i'll put it in the the lobby of your clinic are there any things that you think are important to add or that people should know i've struggled with suicide for many years myself you know most people don't know that you know unless uh, they work with me or they're you know good friends with me you know that there's a saying you know you be kind to people because you have no idea what somebody may be struggling with so with you know depression and anxiety and trying to be perfect and trying to please everybody know that we are dealing with way more than we can handle uh, most times and we're doing our best. It's always been bad, but every, every year it's, it's getting worse for veterinarians, veterinary clinics. It's not the way it used to be, you know, back in the day it was, Oh, you're, you're friends with all your clients and they'll bring you up high or they'll bring you something to show their appreciation. And now it's, oh, the dogs are barking too loudly and it ruined my whole experience there. Really? Like you're in a vet clinic. That's going to happen. I don't know. Just the mentality that like my dog's anal glands that you're staying late to squeeze and I'm not recognizing that it's after hours and you might be missing your kid's soccer game or time with your family and, you know, just not recognizing that, like, you're trying to yeah. figure out that balance, too. And it's very selfish, it seems. So, you know, with Facebook, um, I when I was on there, this is another reason why I'm not on there. I mean, I would have three to five people a week send me messages. Uh, sometimes it'll be three in a day. Uh, send me messages about, hey, how's it going? You know, I haven't talked to you since high school. 
or I haven't talked to you in five years, but this is going on with my pet. What do you, what, what can you do? You know, they're not even going to come in to see me. They're, you know, going to go see somebody else. And, you know, I just want all this free advice and well, here's what so-and-so did. What should they do next? Not what I'm here for. I'm, I'm glad that you care about me as an individual. That's bullshit. Yeah. There was one of my classmates three or four years ago. She attempted suicide. She tried giving herself um, the euthasol. She was injecting it into her self. Now it's, I don't know, luck or what have you, but you probably get enough into you that you would pass out before it would kill you because uh, you can't get the full dose in. Um, but I, I have heard of people that will hook up an IV uh, pump and that way they, they get all of it. Wow. So, yeah. And they found her the next day. She was unresponsive. She had a trach tube in for a while, but she made it. Um, she lost her license for a few years. She had to go back and, you know, take all her testing again, uh, national boards, which I, kudos to her because having to go through national boards again, I, I don't know if I could do that, but yeah, she's a veterinarian again. And yeah, that's one thing that I read that that's kind of one of the most common ways is, you know, people just taking the euthanasia meds from the clinic and yeah. that's, that's how they're doing it. So it's just like, ugh, yikes. You know, you, you hear people say, ah, oh, you need to talk about it. And, and you really do. Um, and I, I found that out over the past probably five, 10 years that it does help talking about it. You figure out that you're not the only one that's dealing with it. And, you know, I, I talk about it with people at work because there's, gosh, let's see, one, two, there's at least five or six of us that have semicolon tattoos. And after they've been there a while and I've established a rapport with them, you know, I, I'll ask them, you know, say, hey, look, tell me about that. Can you give like a quick explanation of what that is? Sure. So the, the semicolon uh, tattoo that you see is meant to be, uh, when an author uses it in a sentence, it's supposed to mean that the author could have ended the sentence there with a period or some other punctuation, but the author chose not to. The author chose to go ahead and continue with the sentence and, and finish out the thought. And so as that translates into people that have issues with anxiety and suicide and depression, it's a reminder to ourselves to, you know, that, look, we could end it, but, you know, there's greater things ahead. There's more to life. You know, we can go on, we can do this. And, you know, I, I think most people usually put it around their wrists, but it, it's in a place to see. And I, I think that's actually a, a really cool thing because we can recognize each other and, you know, people that don't know about it, um, you know, just think, oh, you know, it, they just tattooed themselves with something, you know, that seemed to be cool. And, you know, it gives me a chance sometimes to just, you know, if I see a stranger or, you know, something and we have to be chatting about something, I can say, hey, look, I, I identify with your tattoo and, you know, show them, hey, look, I've got one too. Um, but yeah, it, it's 
basically a, a constant reminder to ourselves that, hey, you've got this. You, you can you can do this. Scott, thank you so much for joining me and a huge thank you to all of the vets, vet techs, and support staff at vet clinics and vet hospitals and vet professions everywhere. You guys are amazing. You're doing great work. You're appreciated. And to everybody else, don't be an a-hole to them. I mean, don't be an a-hole in general, but don't be an a-hole to your vet staff. We can be better than that. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who takes care of our animals. If you want more information, go to the Not One More Vet website, which is nomv.org. They provide support, education, and resources for veterinary professionals and students. So if you want more info, check them out. And if you guys want to support Know What I Heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, Five-star ratings and glorious reviews are always appreciated. That's how we get new listeners. Follow us on Instagram, like the Facebook page at Know What I Heard Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, show ideas, send me an email at knowwhatiheard at gmail.com. Stay safe, stay healthy, be nice. And until next time, hey, know what I heard?